Listener Production. Hello, Sasha Barbagat with you. Welcome to The Briefing. Grocery prices are skyrocketing. That's no surprise. A brief trip to the supermarket, even just for a handful of items, can cost a small fortune. The federal government has announced it's holding a review into grocery prices in its bid to reduce cost of living pressure, appointing former Gillard Cabinet Minister Craig Emerson to head up the review. So can the government actually force supermarkets to lower their prices? And should it? We do, after all, live in a free market economy and retailers can charge what they like. And I think right now what we're seeing, obviously, with several uh, inquiries into supermarket food prices, uh, I don't think that's particularly going to to lend to lower prices. Uh, The only way you achieve lower prices is, is through greater competition. That's our deep dive in the second half of the briefing. Before that, we've got Bensian Siebert here with the headlines. It is Tuesday, January 23rd. Morning, Sasha. So it looks like the future of the controversial Stage 3 tax cuts uh, is going to be debated at tomorrow's emergency cost-of-living meeting among Labor ministers. Anthony Albanese has called his caucus to Canberra early to discuss a range of measures to tackle rising costs and how the government's going to address them. The idea of changing up the tax cuts, which are due to come into force July 1, has reportedly caused a divide inside Labor, which makes sense because on the one hand, these tax cuts deliver much more benefit to people on higher incomes than they do for people on lower incomes. But this was also an election promise that they do not want to be seen breaking. Stage three, as it's currently planned, would mean Australians earning between 45000 and 200000 a year would all be taxed at the same 30% rate. So someone at the top end would get a 9,000-ish tax cut. Yeah, and according to reports, a plan is being floated to lower this planned top tax bracket to $180,000, which is what it is at now, with the savings to then be passed on to lower bracket earners through an increase to the tax-free threshold. That would effectively mean a tax cut for all earners. As it stands with these legislated plans, uh, people on the lowest end of the spectrum wouldn't get a tax cut. And it is understood the proposed changes will be discussed tomorrow at this big emergency meeting and we could be hearing about the result during the Prime Minister's Thursday address to the National Press Club. (sighs) This story really bothers me because Albo took this as an election promise into the election and it was, you could tell, it was just never his policy. It was, you know, passed and legislated by the Morrison government and I could see it happening in real time. He's gone, yes, yes, we're going to keep them, we're going to keep them, even though everyone's like, mm, this isn't really good policy, let alone a good Labor policy. And, you know, now he's in this position where people are desperate for relief and something like tax reform is a huge and important way of delivering that to low and middle income earners. Uh, but he's in this position of, well, if he changes the tax cuts, then people are going to get mad and say you broke an election promise. But it's it's a better policy than the one that exists. So it's frustrating to watch politicians in Canberra worry about, oh, people aren't going to like us because we broke a promise. Well, what's the better policy? That's what you're elected to do. Yeah, it's a really tough, tough 
uh, decision for Anthony Albanese to make at this point. And I think something that is lost in some of this debate is that it's not only that it's going to give a higher tax cut to someone on a higher income, but it's also going to completely flatten the tax rate for a huge bracket of income so that someone on $45,000 is going to be paying the same tax as someone on $200,000 going forward. And the Greens have released uh, parliamentary budget office estimates that this is going to cost more than $320 billion over the next 10 years. So it's something that's really going to be tough for Anthony Albanese. But I think at this point, the cost of living issues, especially for people on middle and lower incomes, are going to be more important to him than not breaking a election promise. Sexual violence cases are set to go under the microscope in a new review launched by the government that will try to limit further trauma for victim survivors. Prosecution rates are low, conviction rates are even lower, and many find the process traumatising. Seeking justice should never add to victims and survivors' trauma. Attorney-General Mark Dreyfus there. The 12-month review will be carried out by the Australian Law Reform Commission and it will look at the criminal justice system's approach to sexual violence cases. And the inquiry will also examine how the experiences of victim survivors in the justice system can be improved, such as through extra supports. It'll also look at training and development options for judges, police and lawyers to enable a trauma-informed and culturally safe justice response. The review's launch is part of the Albanese government's national plan to end violence against women and children within a generation. Uh, A big task, uh, some depressing stats for you. One in five women and one in 16 men have experienced sexual violence since the age of 15. And one in two women in their 20s have experienced sexual violence, which is just an absolutely horrific statistic. Uh, More than 60 women were violently killed in Australia last year, many at the hands of intimate partners. Now, you know, this review is obviously needed. There have been some very high-profile cases uh, in recent times that have demonstrated that perhaps we're not getting it right. And uh, I, for one, am really glad to see this happening. I remember when I was in school and doing legal studies and my teacher said that uh, he would never suggest to his daughter if she were sexually assaulted to go through the legal process of getting that person prosecuted because it was so traumatic and it's obviously something that needs to change. The ABC's managing director has caved to pressure and will meet with disgruntled staff over the broadcaster's reporting on the Israel-Hamas war and the sacking of Antoinette Latouf. It comes after an online union meeting among about 200 workers yesterday, during which a no-confidence motion in David Anderson was passed 128 votes to three. Sources at the meeting claim frustrated staff voiced their anger at Anderson's failure to publicly defend the ABC and handle outside attacks on its integrity. In a statement issued within hours of the meeting, the managing director said, I have listened and heard the concerns of members of staff and I will meet with them in the coming weeks. Bensian, it's clear that there's some issues happening at the ABC right now. Absolutely, there are. And I worked at the ABC for several years. And one of the things that's really tough 
for staff and management at the moment is that they seem to be working at cross purposes. There's lots of complaints among staff about the working conditions. Um, and also the ABC is at this historic moment where older audiences are dropping off, but also they've been failing to bring in a lot of uh, younger audiences. And so it's a real crisis at the ABC at the moment. And I think um, for myself, who like I always have loved the public broadcaster and I think we need a good, strong public broadcaster, it's uh, difficult to watch it be in this position. And a New South Wales number plate is going under the hammer. It's expected to get $10 million because it only has one number on it one. It's believed the New South Wales One plates were originally issued to a vehicle belonging to the state's first police commissioner. Lloyds says the auction will probably be the last time the plates are offered for sale, as rare heritage plates are usually passed down through the generations. The value comes from the rarity of the plates, with only nine single-digit number plates available for each state and territory. Some people just have too much money, in my opinion. Uh, This is going to be the most expensive number plate ever to sell in Australia if it goes for what the current uh, bids are sitting at, 10 mil. Uh, In 2017, we saw New South Wales 4 sold for $2.45 million. Obviously, who wants to be 4 when you can be number 1? And the most expensive plate ever sold was in Dubai, unsurprisingly, $22.5 million. So, yeah, I think... When we're talking about, you know, income to, uh, tax cuts for low-income earners and then there's people dropping 10 mil on a number plate. Can you see <laughs> I'm riled up about this? I don't think it's very fair. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for the headlines, Ben Sien. Look, before we get to today's deep dive on supermarket price gouging, there is a little fun fact. We actually got you, our listeners, to name today's ep. Uh, we put a poll up in our brand new broadcast channel on Instagram, which is called Behind the Briefing, and we asked our subscribers there to choose their favourite name, and they did. So thank you to everyone who voted. And if you haven't joined us yet on our broadcast channel, you can by clicking the link in our Insta bio. All right, let's get into Benson's chat about whether the government can force Coles and Woolies to lower their prices. I want you to cast your mind back to the late 2000s. You might remember Kevin 07, Julia Gillard, Back to Kevin Again and all that drama. At the time, the Gillard government established what was then called Grocery Watch, a website where consumers could enter grocery prices and the public could see where and when the cheapest groceries were available. But they ended up scrapping it. It was seen as a massive failure that cost the taxpayer $13 million. Well, fast forward to today, and once again, a Prime Minister is responding to public pressure over supermarket prices. Just last week, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese announced a review into grocery prices, and he's making a big speech later this week where he's expected to say just how his government intends to fight the cost of living in 2024. But can the government actually force supermarkets to lower their prices? And what would happen if it did? To explain, Tim Harcourt and Gary Mortimer join us. Gary Mortimer is QUT Professor of Retail Marketing and Consumer Behaviour. So let's start with Gary. Can the government actually force a supermarket to lower its prices? 
Uh, well, listen, I guess ultimately uh, in a free market open economy that we have here in Australia and I guess across many other westernised countries, no, they can't. Although, as I say that, if, if the government was to particularly look at possibly a range of products uh, and then set prices or suggested recommended prices for those products, they ultimately could legislate for that, but the the complexities around how that legislation would be applied, enforced, checked in, in a food sector is in, incredibly complex. Uh, and, and I think right now what we're seeing, obviously, with several uh, inquiries into supermarket food prices, uh, I don't think that's particularly going to to lend to lower prices. Uh, the only way you achieve lower prices is, is through greater competition. And it does kind of lead us on to should the government, even if it can, take some control of prices? Because I think the the most obvious example of price fixing that we know about in, in an economy is like Soviet era stuff. So should the government try? Well, well I mean, that, that's a really good sort of uh, analogy looking at sort of a Soviet era, you know, USSR, you know, system where, you know, prices were, were set. But we also have a, a country, you know, during that particular period of time where, where there was only one type of bread. It was manufactured by a government bakery and it was placed and sold and, and allocated to families at potentially one loaf per day per family. And I guess if we attempt to sort of apply that, I guess, philosophy or theory to an Australian market and we said, listen, you know, the government's going to select eight products that most retailers will carry, bread, milk, eggs, so forth, and set a minimum price and a maximum price, the challenge then goes, well, what happens with other brands? So hypothetically, the government says that you can charge no more than $2.00 uh, for a loaf of white 750-gram bread. How about wholemeal bread or multigrain bread or how about breads that are 850 grams? And then if we agree that that's going to be the price set, how about the little bakery on the corner? Does the legislation also apply to the bakery that breaks their own bread and charges $4.50 a loaf? So they have to come in line and at least sell an alternative that sells for $2 a loaf. So you can start to see the the complexities around price setting. Would be incredibly complex and also I imagine that um, some supermarkets might just say, well, okay, we won't sell bread then. How is it that we got to this place where everyone more or less seems to be angry at the big supermarkets? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I think think we do like to beat up the big supermarkets and the big banks and the big insurers and the big airlines uh, because we look at their profit and, and we go, gee, you know, these big businesses, these big banks, these big insurers are making lots of profit. They're a profitable organisation. But then at the same time, I think, you know, when I'm, when I'm going for a mortgage or I want to invest my money into a term deposit, do I want to invest with a bank that makes profit or do I want to invest with a bank that doesn't make good profit? Where are we at now in terms of prices, inflation, deflation? Can you explain kind of the current situation and what we might be looking at into the rest of the year? You know, we're seeing 
inflation start to decline. We saw heightened inflation coming out of the pandemic. And the reason we saw heightened inflation was during the pandemic, the governments put a, a lot of cash into the economy. And I'm sure many of your listeners would have realised, you know, if, if they worked in retail or hospitality or tourism, they couldn't work. So they were provided with a, a subsidy. Uh, job seekers were also given an extra subsidy on top of what they were currently got. We, we had insurance companies providing rebates uh, you know, because we weren't driving our cars as much. We had, uh, you know, councils, state governments providing rebates on electricity because we're working from home more. So as we came out of the pandemic, we were in a really good cash position. We weren't travelling internationally, so there was money saved there. We weren't even travelling domestically. So we started spending on stuff. We started spending on consumer electronics and new TVs. So naturally, inflation went up. Okay, so just one final question, just briefly. Um, what do you think Coles and Woolworths need to do this year to regain their social license and their public trust? Yeah, listen, I, I think what we'll see is um, probably some more transparency, you know, and maybe at a macro level. So, you know, often the discussion is, well, why does my box of wheat bix cost 20 cents more than it did last year? Maybe some transparency around, you know, what the supply chain is. So wheat has gone up, uh, electricity prices have gone up, fuel prices have gone up. So to create that box of wheat bix, it's costing us 35% more than what it did two years ago. Maybe we'll start to see some more transparency and that will help consumers understand why we're seeing food price inflation. That was Gary Mortimer, Professor of Retail Marketing and Consumer Behaviour from QUT. And now over to Tim Harcourt, the Chief Economist at the Institute for Public Policy and Governance. Tim, thanks for joining us on the briefing. What can the government or regulators do to deal with prices at supermarkets that people believe are too high? There was an old saying that Winston Churchill, the wartime Prime Minister of Britain, won the war by talking about it doing radio broadcasts and so on. And there is a view that the government can do things by talking about it. Um, there was once a famous economist called Alan Fells, who was head of the Price Surveillance Authority and the Australian Competition Commission. And his view was he couldn't employ lots of inspectors to go around looking at prices and competition, but he could talk about it. And almost the fear of a consumer backlash meant that you know most supermarkets would do something in advance of being talked about in the media. We've heard over the weekend that the government is expected to announce an investigation by the ACCC, which is the watchdog that looks after competition in Australia. What could that inquiry do about this issue? As I mentioned, uh, Alan Fells was head of the Prices Surveillance Authority and then the ACCC, as you mentioned, and what he would do is he would announce an inquiry into supermarket prices or car insurance or um, some other industry, liquor, gaming, what have you. And the fact that they were going to hold an inquiry into the industry uh, made people a little bit frightened and they would uh, make the right sort of actions. So I think the fact the government has announced an ACCC inquiry would make you know the supermarkets feel a bit nervous and so they may do things quickly uh, to take some relief off consumers ahead of the inquiry. So the announcement of the inquiry is in some ways more important than the actual inquiry itself. 
We've heard over the past months that Coles and Woolworths are making huge profits at a time when people are struggling to pay for groceries, including higher margins on things like food. Why doesn't competition between Coles and Woolworths force down prices enough to satisfy people in a situation like we have now? I think it's to do with Australia. We have a, a small market and we often only have two players or three players or four players. Like we have Coles and Woolies, you know, as two big players in retail. You know, the airlines, we have Qantas and Virgin. Uh, we have four banks and it means that competition is not quite the same as if you had eight or nine or, or 20. And that means they're effectively duopolies and there can be a bit of pressure from Audi or IGA but Coles and Woolies, you know, act together in the same way that banks, you know, when the Reserve Bank puts up the cash rate, the banks sort of collude accordingly. So I think it's the nature of having a small number of players in the Australian market. The Coles and Woolworths and, well, the supermarket industry in general has a potential ACCC investigation. There's been legal rulings on wage theft. There's this inquiry coming from Craig Emerson. There seems to be a lot of pressure on supermarkets at the moment. Do you think that there will be an impact or has even been an impact already on the prices that people are seeing at the checkouts? I think they're conscious of it. I think even in their advertising, Coles will say that price is the lowest it's been for 18 months. So I think they're a little, a little bit conscious of it. I think um, Woolies has got this added trouble that they've um, sort of got involved in Australia Day. So some people are saying, so you put our prices up, you rip off the farmers, you're out to pay your workers, and now you're telling us when we can have a public holiday or not. But ultimately there is less competition when you've got two large players. And during um, the pandemic, you know, they were laughing because people were, uh, you know, buying groceries and not going out much. So they made a real windfall there and um, probably quite enjoying that to continue. And lastly, how do you think it is that we've got into this situation where both on the supply side, the farmers are saying we're not getting a good enough price for our meat or dairy, and the consumers are saying that the supermarkets are charging us too much? How are the supermarkets squeezing on both sides here? Well, partly demand and supply. You know, we've had um, the corporate sort of takeover of global agriculture and so a lot of, you know, farmers have been squeezed generally. And, and secondly, on the consumer side, um, you know, Coles and Woolies have got a pretty good grip on um, the Australian consumer. So they're in a good position in the sense that they're, they're sort of price makers on the consumer side and they're price takers or the farmers are price takers on the, on the supply side. Could you just explain what that means, price makers on one side and price takers on the other? By price maker, I mean they have the opportunity to put up their prices without too much consequence because people will mainly go to Woolies if it's local or Coles. Um, by price taker, farmers don't have much choice in terms of supplying. So whatever price Coles says they'll take, they'll take. The same goes for Woolies. So when you say if you're the only wheat farmer in the world, you can set the price, but if there's lots of wheat farmers and only one buyer of wheat, then it's a little bit different for you. That was Tim Harcourt, Chief Economist at the Institute for Public Policy and Governance. 
That's all for today's podcast. Be sure to check back for your afternoon briefing from 3pm. And we're keen to hear your feedback. What do you think of the show? Do you have ideas for stories we should be following or comments on what we do now? Search The Briefing Podcast on Instagram and send us a DM. I'm Ben Sion Siebert and from all of us here at The Briefing, thanks for listening. Listener.